You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 10, Episode 43. This is Writing Excuses of the Caribbean. Q&A on endings. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. And I saved you from my bad pirate voice. And we have special guest star Dealey Sherman. Hello. Delia, welcome back. Thank you for being on the podcast. And thank, thank you, you to our audience of Writing Excuses uh, cruise goers. <laughs> These wonderful people have provided questions which we are going to answer succinctly and brilliantly. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> While cruising the Caribbean. Uh, First question is, why do so many short stories end on a tragic note compared to novels? Is tragic, quote-unquote, easier? Uh, So this is my non-politic answer. Um, I think that so many short stories end on a tragic note because the writers are lazy. Mm. Um, Because it is really easy to get your characters into a fix and decide to end it. And, oh, look at the tragedy. Uh, And it's really hard to get them into a fix and get them out of it and solve it. Mm. Um, And particularly when you're in short form, it's a lot easier to to do that. Uh, So, now, that is not to say that all tragic endings are lazy. Uh, I definitely want to make that point that a true tragic ending is actually difficult. But just the one where you get the character into a fix... Right. You, you can't not fulfill your promises and then claim it's art, an artistic choice. Yep. Um, <laughs> otherwise, you're going to have a story that just doesn't work. I, yep. I think one of the reasons for the prevalence is also that the short story uh, is, is a great way to tell 
a single issue cautionary tale, mm-hmm. and those seem to resonate best when we get to see the very worst case scenario. Um, that may or may not be lazy. It may or may not be well done, but I think that can be said of anything. Yeah, and and you know, I certainly have written a, a, my fair of short stories that my fair share that that have horrible, horrible, terrible endings. Right. I mean, my favorite short story is Harrison Bergeron. Terrible ending, or but very poetic with the rest of the story. Yeah, and it, but it is hard to do, I think, a true tragic ending. Yeah. I, I do think that when it is done well, you get more of a sucker punch from that than you do mm-hmm. from a novel. Um, but, but I think a lot of the reason, particularly with beginning writers, is that they are, they, they are just going for the easy ending. Okay, we jumped on that one, so I'm going to let Delia field this one. Okay. <laughs> How do you pre- prevent an ending from being predictable or boring? An ending can be slightly predictable. You don't always have to surprise your audience. What you do need to do is surprise them, not necessarily by what happens, but by the intensity of the feeling. So mm-hmm. that if, if you finish up your emotional arc as well as your plot arc, it doesn't matter if one of them is reasonably predictable, if the other one isn't. And my personal preference is that the emotions that go along with it or that that, that, that sometimes they're at odds with each other, so that something bad might happen at the ending, but that the emotion that's attached to it is not necessarily despair. That's an awesome answer. Yeah. Um, I, I'm really on board with that because, you know, I, I've read plenty of books where that's exactly what happened to me. The emotion was more powerful even than I expected it to be, um, and they, they stuck the ending. If you're there with the characters experiencing it, it doesn't matter if it's what you expect, as long as it gives you something powerful. Um, uh, that question was by James, by the way. Uh, question by Austin. How do you write a standalone ending with sequel potential? Um, this is a catchphrase that we've used sometimes um, to suggest to readers. Um, a lot of readers coming into a book, if they look at it and say, it's book one of 13, they'll be like, uh, I don't know if I trust a new writer, book one of 13. But if it is, this is a cool book, with some sequel potential, they, they give you a little bit more um, leeway on it. So how do you do that? that Don't uh, kill everybody. Well, okay. yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, that, that's, that's how I sold uh, John Cleaver. It was a single book with sequel potential. And what I did with that was I just made sure that the world was bigger than the story. Mm-hmm. That the character cared about more than this plot so that it was obvious to the editor when he read it, you could tell so many more stories about this guy and they would be just as interesting as this one. Well, the other thing that you did with with that is that you left the implication, because you made it a larger world, that there were more like the the villain. Um, So that that is definitely one thing. The the other thing, and this is silly, um, anything really can be a standalone with sequel potential. Yeah. Uh, the way you do that is that when they come back to you, the editor or the agent, and they say, this is great, are there any more in the book series? You say, yes. <laughs> and then you write a paragraph that says, you say, yes, I've only got them sketched out, but I can give you this. Uh, we sh- sold Glamour and Glass uh, with a one-paragraph synopsis, which is my sequel. Um, did I have that book planned? <laughs> no. 
but I had sequel potential. I kind of knew some vague things. It was like, oh, Napoleon and some stuff, but no. Um, it, 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 I think that it's worth saying that there's more than one kind of series. So that the, certainly Ellen has made her entire career, uh, and there are other people who have done this as well, uh, of writing books that, are, that, that don't pick up. The next book does not pick up right after the mm-hmm. one before. Mm-hmm. So she, all, all, her books are um, between 20 and 60 years apart. And she, so some of the characters are dead, some of the characters are very old, who were younger in, in, in earlier books. And that will, you can always pick up with something that you have left untied up, some issues. And, and, and a world that is rich enough will, we live in one, um, will cover any number of stories, will accommodate any number of stories. And you can look at parts of your world that you did not look at in an earlier book. Yeah, so there are many ways of skinning that character. Yeah. Um, Okay, Chad asks, um, best ways to avoid info dump endings? Info dump endings? Info dump endings. I actually have read these before. Yep. Um, This is where the author gets very rushed, um, finishes what they were most interested in, and then just says, oh, yeah, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. Um, How do you avoid that? You make sure that you and your reader are are both very interested in everything happening in the story so that instead of dumping the ending, you are excited about every aspect of it. That would certainly help. Reformat the info dump as an appendix. Ah, That's that's the Tolkien method. (laughs) I think you see this a lot in mysteries where you catch the villain and you're like, oh, but I need to explain how we got to this point. And I've been keeping all of these secrets from the reader, so now I have to tell the reader all of these secrets or my ending doesn't make sense. Yeah, um, yeah, that happens a lot. Um, watch, watch the movie Psycho, the original Psycho by Alfred Hitchcock, because this is exactly how it ends, and it's completely unnecessary. Mm. The, if he had just cut the last five minutes out of the movie, it would have been fantastic. And so sometimes that's all you need to do with your own story is Mm -hmm. finish the part you're really excited about, realize that the info dump is unnecessary to the enjoyment, and... And then cut the last five minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Dan asks, when writing a series, what's the most important aspect to consider in ending the first novel? And I'll just kind of pen that to, are there differences between ending a first novel in a series and ending other novels in the series? Brandon? Uh, well, <laughs> hey, we've all written series. Uh, well, okay, Delia, you're off the hook on this one. Uh, Howard, you've never actually finished. A, y- y- yours is still going. So no. He did short story the, sequels. His books obvious, are broken into stories. Though. Yeah, the, yeah. Obvious answer, the obvious answer is yes, because often when you are writing the ending of the first book, you don't know if you're going to get to write the ending of the following books. By the time you are further into the series... One of the principal differences, and this is going to sound maybe obvious and stupid, is that you've got more endings under your belt. You've got a better idea of what you're doing. You have a better idea of the shape of the, of the, the overarching uh, mega plot, and you're, you're better at it. Uh, it. I like writing endings. You know, I, I just ended Schlock Mercenary Book 15. Uh, it was very satisfying to do that mm-hmm. and then to jump into book 16 because I knew that I knew how to do an ending. So um, the, the mega plot is the thing I think that is, is the, the secret 
because with the, the first book, you, you do have an overarc, an arc that you are wrapping at the end. But Mistborn is, I think, a really good example of this, that we get to the end of the first book, and, and, and I, my reaction was, how can you possibly do a sequel? Because you wrapped everything up. And in the second book, I realized, oh, no, there was another question that was asked at the beginning of the first book that is still unanswered. And so we got to the end of the second book, and I was like, oh, how are you going to write a third book? And we got to the third book, and I realized that that first book had had one more question. And when we got to the end of it, it was wrapped up in such a way that I, I felt like now we've actually answered everything. If he had pulled that trick on a fourth book, I probably would have hit him. <laughs> you know, one thing to keep in mind in this, though, I think, is I do believe the first book of a series needs to, um, doesn't need to, there's plenty of examples that don't, but I personally prefer it when the first book comes to its own ending. Um, yeah. A second book I will accept as a reader having more of a cliffhanger mm -hmm. going on. Um, the first book, I want to know you as a writer are capable of delivering a solid ending so that when I get to the end of the series, I'll get a solid ending there too. Um, and so I try very hard in my books when I start a series to make the first book wrap up a little more tightly than perhaps I'll let myself do on the rest of the books oh, in the series. Yeah, I, I have the same philosophy and I hear from readers all the time who complain about uh, for example, Fragments, uh, Second mm -hmm. Partial's book, ends with a huge cliffhanger. Right. And they say, I'm so mad at you, but I'm going to have to read the rest of right, it now. Right. Because they're two books in, and they're invested, and they want to read the rest. They don't have that investment after just one book. Hey, writers. Are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. They use an immersive technique which leads to fast language acquisition. It's an intuitive process that helps you really learn to speak, listen, and most of all think in the language you're trying to learn. They also feature true accent speech recognition technology that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a voice coach in your home. Learn at home or on the go with a desktop and mobile app that let you download and access lessons even when you're offline. And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership gives you access to all 25 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and, of course, Korean. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Um, let's go ahead and stop for our book of the week because we want to promo one of Delia's books. Will you tell us about The Freedom Maze? Yes. The Freedom Maze is basically a double time travel novel. It is set originally in 1960, and my heroine travels back in time to 1860 because she has had a wish, and she wants a magical adventure, and she wants to go back to what her grandmother assures her are the good old days. Um, Since she lives in Louisiana on a sugar plantation, this does not work out quite as expected. Um, it, I, I wrote it as a she, she's taken into the family who, who, who are her ancestors but not quite in the way that she had wanted um, I wrote it as a corrective to the tra- time travel adventures where nothing really bad happens and, and, the, and the children she's, um, she's 12, 13 um, are rescued always by the magical creature that have taken them back in time whenever things, whenever things look as if they're getting really bad Uh, And this does not happen for Sophie. Uh, And it's also about slavery and racism and all sorts of things. It's it's a wonderful, wonderful book. And it's also narrated by Robin Miles, who's one of my favorite narrators. This, uh, if if you're going to pick one book this year to to pick up on Audible, I highly recommend The Freedom Maze. She did a beautiful job, Robin did. (laughs) And you can get that... um, audiblepodcast.com slash excuse start a 30 day free trial download the freedom maze and get it for free alright next question comes from Lindsay how do you know what questions to leave unanswered in an ending good question um, in fact I had this one last <laughs> night as I was speaking with uh, members of the uh, writing excuses crews someone came to me and said Brandon you it's kind of the reverse question you often say don't save too much for the sequel don't hold so much off for the sequel that the first book is boring. Well, how do you know? How do you have anything left for the sequel? How do you know whether to save anything for the sequel? Um, do you try to pack it all into the first book? What is what is the answer there? Okay. I think. Uh, go, ahead, go ahead. I will go first. Second. First, first of all, I want to say there, there's a false dichotomy there. There's answering questions and unanswering questions, and there's answering questions incorrectly. Mm. And if you are writing a series, often one of the most fulfilling, wonderful, delightful things to do is to tie things up in a bow that is a broken bow. Some of the wrong answers are there, and you get to reveal that in fun ways going forward. All right, I don't know which of those, but... I'm going to talk about partials again. The, that series is, among other things, it is about a girl who's trying to cure a disease. And... Um, 
And in my initial draft, I thought, you know, I'm going to drag this out and make that be the series arc of curing the disease and, and thought about this same principle. Don't hold too much back for the sequel. And I thought, well, what if we just cure it right off the bat, right in the very first one? And I realized, and this is the key, that curing the disease asks a ton of questions all by itself. Mm-hmm. Okay, we know what the cure is. How do we manufacture that cure? How do we distribute that cure? How, what else does this suggest about the world and about the characters? And so if you ask a ton and answer a ton of really good, deep questions in your first book, all by themselves, they will suggest more questions for your second. Perfect. I think it's a great answer. And I just want to talk very briefly, because those are both answers about sequels. If, if you're doing something that is a standalone, then one of the things that you're looking at, again, is... is the effect that you, the emotional effect that you want the reader to have. And the questions that you leave unanswered are the ones that do not contribute towards that effect. Uh, which, which is unfortunately something that you can often only identify by handing it to a beta reader or by being an attentive reader yourself to your own work, by, by learning to read your work as if you hadn't written it, which is hard. All right, last question comes from Christina. It feels as though first lines are getting more emphasis than last lines in many teachings. I think that's true. Mm -hmm. um, how often do you test or rewrite the last line? And I'll add, how can you make sure that your ending's working? And what do you, what do you think on last lines? I actually think that, that leaving them with, 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 with an image or with a phrase, I, I like to end with a line of dialogue. Mm. And it, because um, a lot of my stuff is very character driven and, and we, you have gone on a journey with an individual. And I, I also like to tie up the emotional plot after I have tied up the action plot. And so once something that connects a, a, a line of dialogue or, or, or a single exchange that connects the two characters who are the most important and, and that, that, that tie up that particular thing is something that I like to do. Excellent. Yeah, I, I do something similar, but one of the things that I also look at are emotional resonances and beats that I have hit through the story. Uh, so, and if you take a look at my, my fiction, particularly if you look at the first line and then you flip and look to the end line. I do a lot of echoing. Um, humans are uh, pattern-seeking creatures and when we, seek, when we see a pattern, when we recognize a pattern, we get this little blip of satisfaction. So I'm totally cheating and hacking that <laughs> because, I, I mean, that's the reason kids, Kids are really blatant about it. You show them a television show, they love it. They say again, again, because they want to experience that emotion again. Because it's and and it's more satisfying to them the second time because they recognize it now. They feel smart. So one of the cheats that I do, one of the the tricks is I will honestly take something, either the sentence structure or an image, in an ideal world, both and and repeat it. Um, if you look at. Um, one of the ones where it's more blatant, and, and you know, you can probably just look on, look inside on Amazon if you don't want to buy my book, which is fine. <laughs> but, um, but, but glamour and glass, uh, the opening and closing sentences are mirrors of each other, um, and and so that that is that is a trick that will give an emotional resonance to something uh, with. 
very little effort on your part. There are other ways, I, but I, I sometimes just take the easy route. Yeah, my I, wordsmith, I wordsmith my first line to, uh, to be pleasing and to encourage you to read the second line and the fifth line and the 50th line. The first line, uh, in marketing terms, and I know this makes me sound filthy, uh, in marketing terms, the first line is part of a sales pitch to the reader, and I want to sell them on reading the rest of the book. The last line does not serve the same purpose. Uh, I'm not trying to get you to buy the book, um, but I cannot write the last line and leave you feeling like if you look back at the first line, wow, this book didn't end as well as it started. And so I wordsmith my last lines, my last paragraphs, very, very carefully to also be pleasing and awesome. And when I talk about that level of wordsmithing, there are dozens of places in the things that I write where I will drill down and wordsmith very, very carefully because that paragraph, that line, has to be perfect. Every syllable, every sibilant, every everything. See, my favorite last lines, um, the way I like to write them, the way I like them in books, is less a parallel of the first line, though it certainly can be, um, and it is the kind of dramatic encapsulation of, uh, of some major theme. Um, for instance, uh, the ending of 1984. He loved Big Brother, right? Mm -hmm. This is a, a dramatic irony encapsulating the entire journey of the character and the theme of the book. Um, and so if, if, whenever I can pull off a line like that, uh, I've never had a line like that. <laughs> yeah. Whenever I can pull off something that gets a smidgen of that, I feel like I've accomplished something. He loved Lord Ruler was yeah, a great yeah, line. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, we have to end. We are out of time. I really want to thank uh, Delia for joining us. Thank you so thank much. Thank you, Delia. Thank you. Um, I want to thank our audience who just clapped, so I won't make you do it again. I am going to assign you homework. But it's easy homework. This time I want you to take a break. If you've been following this along and working on your story, you've now been doing this for 10 months. You have finished, we hope, something incredible, something um, that you are very proud of, and it's time to rest. And this is actually something that I like to do whenever I finish a book because we are going to go to revision next week. Um, and it's often very good to take a break between finishing a story and digging into the revisions. In fact, you may want to um, take these next few episodes, stick them somewhere, <laughs> and give yourself a break and write something in between, and then come back and listen to those episodes when you're ready to do your revision. Brandon, where should they stick those episodes? You, they should stick those episodes on the shelf. <laughs> Next oh. to all of their nice people who don't make euphemisms. <laughs> it wasn't me this time. <laughs> oh, dear. And they should um, come back and listen to them later. All right, this is. Does been... the sun shine on that shelf, Brandon? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, we got to end fast. <laughs> I don't know that's. Oh, I'll stop. <laughs> For those of you not benefiting from the <laughs> video feed, I'm proceeding to smack Mary on the head with my clipboard. I, I, you started it. This has been Writing Excuses of the Caribbean. You're out of excuses. Now go take a break.
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.